Oh, some of these people around here. If the sermon gets boring, I'm on the bongos. This is what happens when there's a deacon's meeting. They're supposed to be doing the work of the church, but this is what they're doing. You can ask them how they dressed for that meeting later. Let's just say it was heavy purple. Okay. We are in Jeremiah chapter 42. It is my intention, Lord willing, that we'll uh, finish up the book of Jeremiah uh, by the end of the year. And when um, January rolls around, begin a new series. Um, So we are going to be looking at chapters 42, 43, and 44. Um, I want to read as we begin this evening 42 through 43, 7, but I would ask that you keep your uh, your Bible open, as is our custom, so we'll reference um, the other parts of the of the text momentarily. So let's begin in chapter 42 at verse at verse 1. Then all the commanders of the forces, and Johanan the son of Kera, and Jazaniah the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet. Let our plea for mercy come before you and pray to the Lord your God for us, for all this remnant, because we are left with but a few, as your eyes see us, that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing that we should do. Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your request, and whatever the Lord answers you, I will tell you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word with which the Lord your God sends you to us. Whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. At the end of ten days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Then he summoned Johanan the son of Kerah and all the commanders of the forces who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your plea for mercy before him. If you will remain in this land, then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up, for I relent of the disaster that I did to you. Do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. I will grant you mercy so that he may have mercy on you and let you remain in your own land. But if you say, we will not remain in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, and saying, no, we will go to the land of Egypt, where we shall not see war or hear the sound of the trumpet or be hungry for bread, and we will dwell there, then hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. If you set your faces to enter Egypt and go to live there, Then the sword that you fear shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt, and the famine of which you are afraid shall follow close after you to Egypt, and there you shall die. All the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to live there shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. They shall have no remnant or survivor from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, As my anger and my wrath were poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, So my wrath will be poured out on you when you go to Egypt. You shall become an excretion, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. You shall see this place no more. 
The Lord has said to you, O O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know for a certainty that I have warned you this day that you have gone astray at the cost of your lives. For you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us to the Lord your God, and whatever the Lord our God says, declare to us, and we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you. But you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God in anything that he sent me to tell you. Now therefore, know for a certainty that you shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence in the place where you desire to go to live. When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people all these words of the Lord their God, with which the Lord their God had sent him to them, Azariah the son of Hoshiah and Johanan the son of Kerah and all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, You are telling a lie. The Lord our God did not send you to say, Do not go to Egypt to live there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they may kill us or take us into exile to Babylon. So Johanan, the son of Kerah, and all the commanders of the forces and all the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan, the son of Kerah, and all the commanders of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to live in the land of Judah from all the nations to which they had been driven, the men, the women, the children, the princesses, and every person who Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, also Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah. And they came into the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they arrived at Taphanes. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Father, for the warnings of Scripture, we give you thanks. I pray that our, our hearts would be made ready to heed them. And for the comforts of Scripture, we give you thanks. And pray that our hearts would be made ready to enter into those comforts to your glory. Uh, teach us now, Father, your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Some years ago, a young woman who was a friend of Dana's and mine told us a story about her recent trip uh, to a drive-up window at a local fast food establishment. I have for years found this to be very, very interesting. She was very excited because it was the fall and this particular establishment had brought back their pumpkin shakes, something she apparently had a fancy for. Sounds thoroughly disgusting to me, but nonetheless, a pumpkin shake was in order. She pulled up to the speaker and she made her order. Yes, I would like a corn dog and a pumpkin shake. That is, one hot dog and a Coke? Came the response. She was a bit puzzled, so she repeated, No, no, I I want a corn dog and a pumpkin shake. Oh, I'm sorry, that's one cheeseburger and an iced tea? No, she said, now quite put out, I want a corn dog and a pumpkin shake. Right, my bad. One regular hamburger and a chocolate shake coming up. Now, by the end of this, she said she was screaming into the speaker, I want a corn dog and a pumpkin shake. How could they not get it? How could they miss what it's so obviously saying? Now, I'm pretty sure that someone in there, someone who didn't care if they got fired or not, was just playing with her. Nonetheless, she sped away with no pumpkin shake. Now, I don't know how you can read chapter 42 and then conclude, I got an idea, let's go to Egypt. Surely that's what the Lord would want us to do. How could the text be any more clear than it is? Don't go to Egypt. And of course, this is no joke. In reality, our text is kind of sad. 
Jeremiah is going to be carried off to Egypt against the Lord's clear warning and by a people who care nothing for him. He would live faithfully, as far as we know, finally die among this unfaithful people in a foreign land and that after all of his humble, obedient service to the Lord. That's what he gets for his service to Yahweh. There's irony in the fact that the people rejected wholesale the word of the Lord, but then in taking Jeremiah with them to Egypt, they actually took God's word personified in the prophet with them. The very thing they were rejecting was what they took along with them. But most powerfully, it is tragic because it didn't, it didn't have to be this way. After all of this, after all of their rebellion and the ignoring and warning after warning, and even God saying that he's done with them, still what is on display in these early chapters is the merciful heart of God. God would forgive them if they would repent and believe him. Not only that, Yahweh promises to establish them and build them up again, to bless them as only he can do, protect them from any idea of retribution from the mighty Babylon. All they had to do was believe him, Trust him, and he would make their life good again. Jeremiah, in speaking for the Lord, made it very clear what Yahweh would do for them if they obeyed him. Very clear also what would happen if they did not. Now, you have to take a second and appreciate what what we're reading. Our God always stands ready not just to forgive, which in and of itself would be enough, but to restore to pour out mercy that makes life good. You have, to, you have to see what is going on. Yahweh had said uh, about his plan and purpose that his favor was going to rest with the exiles who were in Babylon, those who had been carried away. Remember, they were the good basket of fruit. They were the ones that God said he would give a future to. And yet here he is in this text bending his own rules. Okay, he's in essence saying, you don't have to go to Babylon. You can stay right here in the land. Just trust me. Believe me. Return to me. I won't require you to go to Babylon, as I said before. Do this, and I will forgive you, and I will establish you. I will bless you. But I thought... I thought you said only the exiles in Babylon were going to have your blessing. Yes, I said that. But I am now expanding my mercy and the covering of my grace to you, this small remnant still in the land, if you will but put your faith and trust in me. You need to, uh, whatever you do in your Bibles, whether you mark it or dog ear a page, you need to do this at this chapter. Because if you have ever, and if you are a Christian, then of course you have. If you have ever, looking back at the mess that you have caused, at the sheer stupidity of the decisions or actions made or not made, as a Christian person, if you have ever wondered, am am I beyond the pale of God's forgiving mercy? Have I gone too far? that there is no hope of him smiling on me again? Is there hope that he will forgive me? And if I should hope for forgiveness, should I ever really hope that 
after forgiving me, he would establish me again in blessing? If you've ever wondered that, then ask no more and look no further. Look at who God is. Look at what God is saying. What he's holding out to this people who have been for years completely incorrigible. And I realize this challenges our systematic theology a bit. But here is the Lord, dare I say, changing his mind. He said blessing will rest only with the exiles in Babylon. And now he is saying, oh, and you who did not go to Babylon, the sea of my mercy and grace will overflow the banks of Babylon and reach even to you, you small remnant of folks who remain in the land. So is God, is God changing his mind? Is he expanding his mercy? Well, to be sure. But this is simply God being true to who he has always revealed himself to be, true to his own nature. And he said this back in chapter 18. If you have your Bible, flip back to chapter 18, verse 6. Because here is the principle. When people are talking about the immutability of God, the unchanging God, here is the principle that he is unchanging about. Because we read all the time that God seems to be changing his mind. So what is that immutable principle concerning? And here in chapter 18 of verse 6, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, there's his declaration. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. The old King James uses the word there, I will repent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. That causes us some angst. And so modern translators have changed the word. Verse 9, And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do it. Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return, everyone from his evil way, and amend your ways and your deeds. You see, the Lord doesn't care about the depth of the mess you have made or the times without number you have ignored him. He is always ready to show mercy. He is always ready to change his mind from the disaster you deserve to the mercy and blessings that you do not. And he's ready to do this for the simple reason that that's who he is. He is a God who delights in mercy. Our text starts off with what appears to be a good foot forward. Let's ask the Lord what we should do. Let's seek the Lord our God for wisdom and guidance. And notice that the initiation didn't come from Jeremiah. It came from the people themselves. This small remnant of survivors asked the prophet to seek the Lord on their behalf. Uh, another good sign that they recognize the role that the Lord has given to Jeremiah as a true prophet. So things seem to be finally moving in a positive direction. Uh, Christopher Wright, whose commentary I have mentioned often, a wonderful commentary on Jeremiah, points out an irony 
uh, in the text that I read right past. The people lament, we were once many, now only a few are left. This is a reversal of the Abrahamic promise uh, where sin has now turned the tables on them. The irony thickens and they are planning to go to Egypt, the land where at one time they were few and had grown to be many. This is one of many places where we see the exodus reversed. So the warning signs are everywhere. Jeremiah agrees to pray for them. The people affirm they will do whatever the Lord says. They will obey him completely. Another interesting note is at the beginning when they're talking to Jeremiah, they say, the Lord your God. And then later we find them saying that they will listen literally to the voice of the Lord our God. So again, we see some what appear to be very positive steps, some positive movement in the text. So they waited. Jeremiah prayed for ten days. Now, I I realize that is not all that long of a period to wait. More than likely, many of you have been asking the Lord for something, uh, clarity, a restoration in a relationship, a child to come home to the faith. You've been praying and waiting much, much longer than ten days. I get that. But appreciate the fact that they are stuck in a very dangerous position. They have no protection. Babylon is quite upset with them for what Ishmael had done in the murdering of Gedaliah, as well as killing some Babylonian soldiers in the process. So there is a reason, humanly speaking, to be quite concerned about their predicament and just sitting still if in fact they should be moving. The text that follows, which lays out the two options, making it extremely clear which is the good option and which is the bad option, offers us a kind of theological mind-bender. We have to deal with the Lord's relenting. Some translations will say that the Lord was grieved by his own decisions. We wonder, how, how is that? And at the same time, there is clear indication that the Lord is in complete control of the situation. He promises to keep Babylon away from harming the people if they will be true to him. Is it, is it the Lord's prerogative to control even the movement of nations? Yes, it is. In fact, if you look closely at verse 12, the Lord says that he, Yahweh, will show mercy so that Nebuchadnezzar will show mercy. God controls the movement of entire nations. And at the same time, it is possible that God grieves the decisions he has made in the past or that his people grieve him deeply. The words and the meaning in 42.10 are very much like what the Lord said through Jonah regarding Nineveh. In response to the repentance of the Ninevites, God relented and did not destroy them. Just as we read in chapter 18, he said he would do. What is a little remarkable in our text is that we don't really hear of a direct repentance from the people as we would read about in Nineveh. Oh sure, there are all kinds of words spoken, Good words, words that we would hope to hear. But what about repentance? Well, perhaps that is a clue to where this is going. And before we get all uh, high and mighty in our condemnation of the people wanting to go to Egypt, again, I just ask that you consider this. Their lives have been shattered, and for at least two years, everything they had ever known was completely up in the air. Invasion, hunger, siege... The the death or deportation of loved ones and friends, 
They are literal refugees in their own land. All they wanted was a place of quiet, a place of peace, to be simple, to be left alone. I know, maybe Egypt promises all of that. You can at least understand the pull. And Jeremiah makes the meaning of the Lord's words against going to Egypt, again, very plain. He gives them reasons. First, why you shouldn't go to Egypt is that you will be acting in straight-out disobedience to the Lord, and that is never safe nor wise. And surely by now, the people would have realized that there are consequences for disobedience. I mean, that's why they're in this mess to begin with. Uh, but sometimes, sometimes our pride blinds us to the obvious. And as we have said in the past, sin makes you stupid. Second, do not go to Egypt, verses 16 and 17, because Egypt will not be what you think it's going to be. Our pining after the things of this world never are. Oh, they promise and promise and promise, and they never deliver. Just as the wilderness church, after one week, one week of being in the wilderness after leaving Egypt, romanticized uh, visions of life back in Egypt, wanting to return as if they had completely forgotten that it was a place of bondage and slavery. No, Egypt would not be the safe house they so ignorantly dreamed it would be because sin and bondage and rebellion against God are never safe. Third, verse 18, do not go back to Egypt, for in doing so you will cut yourselves off from the covenant blessings of God and the future that he is planning for his people. If they were going to reverse the exodus, they would have to reverse the promises made to Abraham as well. It, you, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And that is exactly what verse 18 says. Remember, the promise to Abraham is that the nations would bless you. Now he's saying if you go back there, the nations will taunt you. You will be a taunt among the nations of the world. And then the Lord adds that if they go to Egypt, they will never, ever again see their homeland. Ever. In other words, Egypt, if you go will become a place of no return. So the Lord tells them, just stay right where you are in the land. He doesn't pretend it would be easy to not run away, to stay the course in circumstances that by all appearances are arrayed against you. This will require three things from you. I would merely ask if this isn't what the Lord is requiring of you as well as this small group of people. It will require of you faith that God will make good his word even when and if you can't see it. It will require of you trust that the Lord has you, that he is at work, he is at work behind what is seen to bring about what he has said and that he knows better than you do. He knows better than you do what must be done. And third, it requires hope. Even hope when we see no resolve or at least we don't, in our own minds, understand how the resolve will come. Nonetheless, the future is the Lord's, and it belongs to those who love him. We know what happens with the exiles, and how they will come home 70 years later. They will reestablish the city. We know that from this community will come the Christ of God, who will fulfill the ancient promises and bring life to the world. But they had to have hope in such a future before it happened. Even as you and I must have a living hope 
in the future that God has promised us. Faith, trust, and hope, not just for this remnant, not just for the exiles, but for God's people of all ages at all time. And, and this, this is no pie-in-the-sky wishing. This is tangible. Feet on the ground, obedient living, because we know, because we are certain what the Lord has promised those who believe him. But of course, as we read, as we rolled into chapter 43, although they promised obedience to the word of God, when Jeremiah spoke, it's not what they wanted to hear, so they refused to heed the word and refused to listen to the prophet. Now, you can understand, they're not going to come up with a response such as this. I don't want to do that. Yeah, they can't say that. Well, the Lord is wrong. They can't say that. The Lord is just wanting to take us and kill us for his own satisfaction. Again, they can't say that. Nor can they say, we don't trust Yahweh because he's not good. Now, all of those things are in reality what is going on in their minds and hearts, but they can't say that, so they take the easy way out and they shoot the messenger. Jeremiah is lying. That's their conclusion. Jeremiah is being put up to this by ulterior motives. Having sought God's will, when it crossed God's will, when it crossed what they had preconceived in their own minds they wanted, they say no to God's will that they might follow their own. In other words, their mind was made up before they ever asked Jeremiah to pray for them. Eve saw the fruit, that it was good, and the will of God, you shall not eat of this tree, lest you die, was contradicted by the serpent, you shall not surely die, and she did what she wanted to do. Not a lot has changed, has it? Here is one of the most difficult tests of self-awareness. Do you already have a grid in your mind through which you will pass all information that predetermines the outcome without really considering any of the information given? As an example, we do this with people all the time. We have a snapshot. He is this. She is that. We put those glasses on and then everything that person does is interpreted through those glasses that we have already put on. We have already decided who she is or what he is and therefore we always get the answer we want. It always ends up right where we wanted it to be from the beginning. It's like someone telling you, Kevin, you know what your problem is? Your problem is that you're so defensive. That's the glasses they're wearing. If I say nothing, the charge stands. If I say, no, 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 I'm not defensive, there you go again, being defensive. It takes some serious humility, some serious soul-searching to see how we do this, and even more, why would we do this? What are we running from? What are we afraid of? But my friends, it is a necessity that we start asking ourselves these kinds of questions if we are to have a pure heart, if we are to truly love one another. Let's look at the rest of the text, beginning in 43, at verse 8, and I will read through 4430. I know a large um, section of, of the text, but I think important for us to, to hear God's word. So from 43, 8 through 44. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in Taphanes, Take in your hands large stones and hide them in the mortar in the pavement that is in the entrance to Pharaoh's palace in, in Taphanes in the sight of the men of Judah, and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. We have seen him called that in the past, haven't we? Even a king in rebellion against God, Yahweh will refer to as being his servant, the tool in his hand to accomplish his will. And I will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden, and he will spread his royal canopy over them. He shall come and strike the land of Egypt, giving over to the pestilence those who are doomed to the pestilence, to captivity those who are doomed to captivity, and to the sword those who are doomed to the sword. I shall kindle a fire in the temples of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them and carry them away captive. And he shall clean the land of Egypt as a shepherd cleans his cloak of vermin, and he shall go away from there in peace. He shall break the obelisks of Hylopolis, which is in the land of Egypt, and the temples of the gods of Egypt he shall burn with fire. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Judeans who lived in the land of Egypt, at Migdol, at Taphanes, at Memphis, and in the land of Pathros. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have seen all the disaster that I brought upon Jerusalem and upon all the cities of Judah. Behold, this day they are a desolation, and no one dwells in them because of the evil that they committed, provoking me to anger, in that they went to make offerings and serve other gods that they knew not, neither they nor you nor your fathers. Yet I persistently sent to you all my servants, the prophets, saying, Oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their evil and make no offerings to other gods. Therefore my wrath and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they became a waste and a desolation as at this day. And now thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Why do you commit this great evil against yourselves, to cut off from you man and woman, infant and child, from the midst of Judah, leaving you no remnant? Why do you provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, making offerings to other gods in the land of Egypt where you have come to live, so that you may be cut off and become a curse and a taunt among all the nations of the earth? Have you forgotten the evils of your fathers, the evil of the kings of Judah, the evil of their wives, your own evil, and the evil of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? They have not humbled themselves even to this day, nor have they feared nor walked in my law and my statutes that I have set before you and before my fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will set my face against you for harm to cut off all Judah. I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to come to the land of Egypt to live, and they shall all be consumed. In the land of Egypt they shall fall. By the sword and by famine they shall be consumed. From the least to the greatest, they shall die by the sword and by the famine, and they shall become an oath, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt, as I have punished Jerusalem with the sword, the famine, and with pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have come to live in the land of Egypt shall escape or survive or return to the land of Judah, to which they desire to return to dwell there, for they shall not return except except some fugitives. It is important to hear this part of the narrative, And all of that, just that two very simple points might be driven home. The people go to Egypt, and they think they will be free from the preaching of Jeremiah. They think they will be free from the long arm of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar could never reach them in Egypt. But of course, they're wrong on both accounts. Jeremiah buries these large stones as a testimony of the word of God against them. 
and Nebuchadnezzar invaded Egypt in 567 BC and took control of that region even as he had pretty much the civilized world. Running away from the word of the Lord never, never produces what is hoped for. And yet how many Christian people think they can escape the penetrating gaze and the long arm of the sovereign king? If you have never been arrested in your thoughts or actions of keeping secrets from the Lord, surely a passage like this shows again the folly of anything but complete and total transparency and honesty before the one with whom we have to do. These people thought their problem was Nebuchadnezzar. They thought the problem was that their city had been destroyed, that it would be hard to make a living, that they might feed their families. Those were issues, to be sure, but they were not the problem. The problem was that they trusted themselves instead of trusting God. Their problem was that they did not know the depth of their own sin and their own self-reliance. Their problem was that they did not believe God. They didn't say they didn't believe in God, but they didn't believe God. So they covered, they hid their lack of faith with what they thought was a fine-sounding argument, accusations against other people, even the faithful in their midst, all that they might do, what they had predetermined they wanted to do. I don't know about you, but I read that and I think, oh my, how modern does that sound? How real is that in the church today? And how often do I find the same temptations in my own life? Oh, I believe, I believe in God always. But do I believe God always? The text leaves us with these questions. The answers... The consequences are before us. They are profound. They are stark for him who has ears to hear. Amen. Gracious Father, thank you for, again, the warnings of Scripture that, that work to chase us back to you, to cause us to walk closely, to cling tightly to our Savior, to want nothing but to repent of the, the error of our thinking and feeling the error of our, of our wants. And Father, so we would pray, dangerously we would pray that you would search our hearts and know our ways. Now show us, Father, is there any unrighteousness there? May we see it clearly that we might repent of it and walk faithfully with you. For we know that you are a God of mercy. We know, Father, that your desire is to forgive us and to restore us to bless us as we seek to live simple and quiet lives to the glory of our great God. Give us faith to see and give us courage to reach out and take hold. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand with your hymnal and we will conclude our worship this Lord's Day. A wonderful Lord's Day it has been as we sing together hymn 88 with grateful heart, my thanks I bring. It's hymn 88. Lift your voices to the glory of our God.